Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami, welcome back, brother. Davey, Davey, glad to be here, man, man. As every week, I am so excited. And you know what's really exciting about today? <laughs> what? I is, love wait, hold on, is that my new thing? Is that my, my Davey, Davey? Is that what you just said? Davey, Davey, man. Okay, I like it. I'm, I'm good with that. I, yeah, I, um, sounds the, like a TV Tommy, show. The Tommy Bahami thing, I can't stop saying it. Like, I try not to say it, and then it just comes out. All right, well, well, tell well, me why well, it's well, so well, exciting what's today. What's exciting what's, is when you're friends of the people that are the best at what they do in their industry. I love being, having being surrounded by the best. And Adrian and Keith today was oh, on the list. I thought you were going to say something about me. I was so flattered for I, a second. I always <laughs> love to talk about you, Dave, because you're the you're the kingpin of prop fuel, contextual, transactional, conversational engagement. I mean, it's, it's you, you just throw in all the words. You, I'm, you, I'm just yeah. throwing in all the words so you don't have to say it anymore. I've got it all down. One, two, well, three. So who are you talking about, Tom? Tell me about Keith and Adrian. So Keith and Adrian are this dynamic couple that I was there when they started down this path. Um, I was there and, before they started down the path, Tom. Well, I was... Uh, I was there way was before. before, the, before I, I was there before there was a path. I was there before you even knew there was a path coming. I, okay, you win. <laughs> so I met Keith and Adrian back in what, like 2008 or something like that. Yeah, I met and, him in 2007. <laughs> I don't think you did. What? <laughs> if, they, if, you, if you had, they would have said, hey, we need you to meet our friend Dave Will. They never said that. So I know what? you didn't know them. Why am See, I, I so competitive, Tom? Man. Oh, there he is. There's Keith. But they have built an incredible marketplace for credentialing, and they're the best at helping associations connect in with the credentialing. And now I know that they've used virtual to complement their, their credentialing stuff they're doing with associations. So I'm excited to be talking to them today so that associations can draw in best practices with new revenue forms. Because believe me, we've got a certificate program we've had since 2005 in an LMS, and it is like printing money if you do it right. So I'm excited. That's what associations are trying to do right now with this COVID and coming out of it. Where can we print new money or enhance our money printing machine? And education, online education is one of those avenues. That's a very strong statement to say it's like printing money because it, it, it kind of implies that people are doing doing this but aren't printing money are broken. And and so I'd be very curious. So let's let's bring Keith and Adrian into this. Is that that might be a good place to start? Do you guys hey Keith, hey Adrian, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Oh. Thanks for Thanks for joining us. So uh, now this is going to be hard to get a word in edgewise. Adrian, I predict we won't hear your voice for most of the podcast because you are the you're actually the nice kind of you're actually the brains behind this this whole thing. Tom and I fight to get a word in and now you throw Keith into the mix. Good grief. Well, here we've got a we've got a common rule. Keith has to raise his hand if he got anything to say. Yeah, why don't we why don't we take that rule on ourselves, huh? Look in the mirror, brothers. Okay, so just throwing okay, this out tell- there from a word count standpoint, I've just said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, I'm over there. And- Adrian, would you agree with Tom in the way that his credentialing is like printing money? Yeah. I actually would if, um, and it's not necessarily if it's done right, it's if you enable those who have the certification or the certificate on how to promote themselves appropriately and find out who the target market is, whether it's their employer or to themselves to better themselves within their profession. 
uh, people find value in that area. The days of just having some kind of, you know, education in political science and then getting a job within a specific trade is no more. That's not going to put you to the top of the resume pile. It's having that certification or certificate showing proficiency in that specific area. So if an association, which, you know, they were, they were developed to represent an industry, if an association has something that is measurable for an individual, you know, within a certificate or certification, it is like printing money. People find value in it, especially if it's some kind of certification or certificate program that shows that by them having it, they're better at what they do each day. That's you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm going to take it a different level. Um, I agree. So here's my little yes end, but it is printing money for the association. However, the purpose of an association is to grow industries and professions, period. What credentialing does is it educates. Education is knowledge and knowledge is power. Power comes to the profession for those who serve it. Anyone who is a part of a trade or profession gets this education. They take their career to the next level. By taking their career to the next level in their specific area, they are taking their profession and industry to the next level. So the growth curve continues with that specific trade area. So things change, not just for the association, but they're growing financially and increasing their knowledge base, whether it be soft skills they're teaching through their credential or whatever it may be to get that industry and profession to be at the next level. This is where that profession becomes, as I know our friend Tom loves to say, and I love it too. Now that profession, they become the disruptor they are not disrupted because they are ahead of the curve because the predictability factor becomes next level. So they're not just growing and printing money for the organization. They are, it's a game changer for the entire profession and industry they serve. It's the golden handcuff across the board. So Dave, if I, if I could just say one thing yeah, on that. So I say it's like printing money because I sit and listen to associations who, you know, especially come out of COVID, they're looking for the, some non-dues revenue. They're looking for the next revenue stream that can help make up for some of the dues that was lost for attrition that, that happened. And when I say, so are you, doing any, are you doing any kind of online education or technical training? They're like, no. And I'm like, you're begging for another revenue source and literally education, just providing in a valuable system that empowers your members to use it. It's like printing money because they all need it in some capacity. And if you're providing it, either you're going to do it or a for-profit entity is going to come in and take it from you. So it's imperative that you look at it now. And that's why people like Keith and Adrian to me are so important in these endeavors. And I'll tell you this, Tom and Dave, um, the interesting part for us is for years we've been fed. Um, our credentialing has been something we've been very involved with. And for years we keep hearing, oh, if you start a program, don't plan on making a profit for 10 years. That's absurd. And we've been hearing that people go on stage saying that our model is completely different. And that's what we love to kind of twist is you don't have to be a massive organization. You don't have to lose money for 10 years. You can start out with a certificate program that's built proper. That certificate program can build into um, micro credentials, which can build into a stackable credential. There's so many different ways that this can be profitable and making profit is not a bad thing for the organization. Because again, as that organization gains traction with profit, you're educating, you're growing and you're growing the professions you serve. So it, there's so many ways of doing this, but if you have a credentialing program, make sure you're making a profit. It is not a bad thing. 
Hey, listen, if you don't, as a guy that runs an association and runs the budget, if you didn't can't, if you're not making a profit, you have no money to spend on other programs, which is why you do this. So we started ours in 2005 and we're running 16 years straight where we've made incredible profit. We've never lost money on our program ever. No. And I think, I think the kicker too, with a lot of it is it's not just the certification in which you make money or the certificate, it's everything else you can build around it. Right. It's no other training programs, practice exams, study guides, all these, that's just the, the, the core of it. But there's a lot of things that can ping pong off of that to continue the growth and, and make a, an additional revenue stream. Yeah, you guys know I used to own uh, Peach New Media Learning Management System, currently Freestone and Community Brands. So a, a big part of our revenue, because the people that could afford it, the people that were actually making money uh, with continuing education, were those in a mandatory credit industry. For example, continuing legal education for attorneys, lots of bar associations, you know, selling CLE. That's their bread and butter. You got uh, CMEs for medical, uh, CNEs for nursing, um, uh, CPEs for accounting. Like these are the organizations that are making money selling stuff. But we also found that our clients that did not have mandatory credit in their industry, they weren't making money with this stuff. And that's why I struggle with the whole printing money thing. Why do you think, now granted, this was more than five years ago. Have things changed in the past five years? Or do you see organizations that are not in the mandatory continuing education space? Are they making money? That's the bulk of our clients. I was going to say almost all of our clients. Give me some examples that you can. Like, like, tell me about some of your clients that you can talk about that do not have mandatory credit that are making money. Um, phlebotomists. Uh, they, they are not licensed, I guess. May, well, maybe they are within different states and stuff like that. But we work with Phlebotomist Association and they're, you know, have schools everywhere and they want- Forgive my ignorance. What, what's phlebotomy? Uh, the blood draw. It sounds like a Disney movie of some sort. Isn't there a flubber? Is, flubber is flubber, where, yeah. Is, is, that, of is, is, the, is the scientist in flubber, is he a phlebotomist? <laughs> it's the individuals who draw blood. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah, that's different. Yeah, so they, they're not uh, regulated in that sense. Uh, even in the infusion nurses, they have to be an RN, but they don't have to take the voluntary certification as an infusion nurse. That is a step up. That's the CRNS? CRNI. Look at you with your acronyms, Dave. You're uh, on they're, it. They're, they're actually a mutual client. I would not know that if if uh, INS was not working <laughs> with both uh, Propule and Limitless. By the way, you didn't mention their their name. It's Limitless ASR. Is it LimitlessASR.org? What's the website? Yes, LimitlessASR.org. Um, so just like every association, we have um, we're not an association, but we like the long acronym. So we are Limitless Association Solution Resource. LimitlessASR.org. Now, you guys also have, can we talk about the the other thing you're doing with the, go ahead, talk about it. Tell, tell us about this really cool second half of your business, not the virtual stuff. I want to hear about the courses that you're providing for the younger association executives, like the CAE for the associate. So yeah, we actually, it's funny because this goes into a whole other segment, not to get down the rabbit hole, but micro-credentialing. Everyone's talking about it. Nano credentialing. People get confused with digital badges and this. We are actually in the process of um, building an organization called the National Credentialing Institute, which is delivering micro credentials. In this process, we are working with a psychometrician who 
we'll get into that portion of what we're breaking down, but we're also working on building the global standard for micro-credentials. And the key to that is so everyone understands how this is done and how they can utilize it for their organization. But the National Credentialing Institute, otherwise referred to as NCI, again, we love our acronyms. Um, Which the website is, is what? The longest, longest website on the planet, National Credentialing Institute. Dot org. Okay. <laughs> and we are in the process of revamping and doing a tremendous amount of changes, but we've gotten the concept of the CAE and we broke down most of the domains there. We have been very transparent with the CAE commission. We've shared our business model and what we are doing. And we've actually even identified some areas that we thought the CAE could enhance, which is ethics and diversity and inclusion. And they actually took the challenge and increased, as everyone knows, you have an extra hour of ethics that need to go in to the CAE um, renewal components. So what we are doing is we broke the domains down. You can get a micro-credential in membership if you wanted, a micro-credential in governance. And the key is it will be all tracked through an LMS. Um, We work with Com Partners currently. It's a great product for us. And we are actually building this platform to create qualified CAE candidates. You can just get your micro-credentials or upon getting all of the micro-credentials, we can say you now can qualify to sit for the CAE exam, X amount of hours, X amount of years, and then tell them areas they are weak so they can focus on getting their CAE if they so choose. Um, we are also working on building the our industry's own Um, diversity and inclusion micro-credential. Not a certificate because that's a one and done. The conversation of diversity and inclusion is ongoing and ever evolving. So we need to make sure that there's continuing education components to this. And Adrian, please, if you'd like to explain. So so what I want to do is I want you to extract that into- Yeah, never mind, Adrian. Tom's got this. No, I want no, I want to see. I want, I want, I want the listeners to connect the dots as to kind of what does that mean to them. I mean, so is, is there best practices that they could use? Should should they be looking at micro credentialing and nano credentialing and those kind of things, and and why? Yeah, I can answer that easily. So as an association, taking a look at there's a lot of people who may not be eligible for the main certification or kind of need a career ladder. And so that's how associations bring people in job placement. So you get someone who's new to the industry, give them a micro credential so they can kind of start biting off little little pieces to the big pie. Um, at the end of it all. And so that's where those things become relevant. And or someone has no desire to ever achieve that main certification and they're perfectly satisfied with the membership module or whatever it may be within their trade. And so that's where micro-credentials and you know, these different bite-sized learning opportunities come into play and really kind of meet the mark of, of um, different education and learning levels within your membership base. That's just the easiest way to look at it. And one other piece to that, which is really a game changer, is micro-credentials take the same vigor to build as a full-blown credential. Um, You have to have psychometrics, everything. The only difference that we're really looking at if we boil it down is a micro-credential, instead of sitting for a four-hour exam, you're sitting for an exam that has, you know, maybe an hour or so, you'll have 75 questions on the exam. Your study materials are microburst learning, which in that regard, you're doing 20 minute segment videos of learning. You're doing um, a, a lot more where it's kind of the principle of how do you eat an elephant? 
let's say the elephant is a credential, micro-credentials is one bite at a time. And mm -hmm. you just little by little bite off what you can chew when you can. And then that's where we'll, we can also segue into a lot of the virtual component where we actually are working to do this um, and building it with a company called Examity and we're doing um, remote proctoring. So the exams can be done remote and you have accessibility. You don't have accessibility issues where once or twice a year, we all have to gather in the room and we have to fly across the country. You can do it in your PJs at two in the morning or whatever time you feel you're the best test taker. So, and Adrian can get into the um, nuts and bolts too on that, or I can in regards to the security of that, which is tremendous. It's even proven to be better proctoring and safer um, and more secure than in person. Yeah, the artificial but, intelligence is unbelievable. So Dave, going back to what your question as to why, so MTI, my association, we're one of those that don't have required training and yet we've been able to do it successfully. I think it goes back to when I read an article on a plane flight in a Delta SkyMall um, magazine it talked a lot about studies have been done that training is being developed in ways that young kids are not taught to do. They've been taught by video games for years about how to learn. And so they like things in levels. They like, think, they like wins, even though they know they're gonna lose at some point in time if they make a bad choice. So we basically came home and we built our entire training program around that mode where all of our certificate programs, it's not, we got all these certificates you can take or one long one, we built ours. So you get online, you take five courses and you get a certificate. You take another five courses, you get another level certificate. You take another 10 courses, you get another. So we've got them in the system for 24 months and we build it around making them more um, marketable and more valuable in their companies. And here's the other thing a lot of people think is if they just create an LMS with courses, I'm a big believer that no one ever goes out to a site to buy education. They don't. They go out to buy accomplishment. Very few people actually go out and buy courses on association stuff what they go out and buy people buy achievement that's why it's imperative if you build a certificate program or a credentialing that there's an end goal and purpose for them taking those courses that's going to put a letter behind their name or some more value to their work life and tom one i can't agree with you more but one misnomer and dave you mentioned that and tom you just mentioned that um for the younger folks i'll be honest with you our programs are designed to span generations. It's very interesting because think of the association profession alone. We have people coming in from all professions throughout the country. You could be an infusion nurse and all of a sudden you now are CEO of that organization. Those skills that you have as the best infusion nurse on the planet does not transfer into the association realm. Right. Now you have to understand budgeting and this and board of directors and Robert's rules of order. There's a different game here. So we have to understand that people segue, not just coming into a profession who are younger, but even from a multi-generational perspective. Sure. So with that, our programs are designed for folks on the move. You currently have a profession and it's a sink or swim, 20 minute bites here or there with your micro learning, that makes it palatable and easy. And the other piece to all of it is it, it's, it's something that could be consumed on at your leisure. So there's not a time period again. So all these little pieces really come into play as you're looking at it. And the cool part is there's not much in our professions. We always segment younger generation, millennial, so on and so forth. Credentialing in any profession, I would love to have a conversation with somebody who says it is not a multi-generational platform. 
Well, I mean, educate. I mean, if you're going to be valuable in any industry, education plays a huge role in it. And, you exactly. Know, we so, never but, stop learning. But here's the thing. Remember, the video gaming age is if you're if you're 40 and under, 40 and unders are all in that video game track that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you a big question for people thing. What has been the biggest, biggest obstacles you've seen when you've dealt with clients um, and trying to get them into credentialing? What's been the biggest pushbacks or, or uh, obstacles that you've seen of people trying to move into that area? Actually, can I oh. add to that question? Then you can just talk for the rest of the show. The uh, I'm kind of curious what kind of investment human and I don't know about financial because I, I suspect the financial investment varies dramatically. But I would imagine in order to cre- create or improve a program like this, you you need to have at least someone dedicated to it. And now this is a bit of a softball because I think that's what you guys do too. So I guess it's kind of a question is that can an organization like can a smaller association, for example, that doesn't have a resource dedicated to this depend on you? Or do they really need someone focused on credentialing? So talk about Tom's question was like, what are the hurdles? And then the second part of that question is, what does a client need to to overcome those hurdles? For what it's worth, like 99% of the time, it's uh, dedication by at least one staff member. They don't have to be proficient in credentialing. They have to be dedicated to providing us, us a company like Limitless or anyone else, the resources to get access to uh, either their industry standards, uh, their volunteers, anyone who's a subject matter expert, things of that nature. So a lot of groups dive right in and want it done in six months, but don't have any access or really good volunteers who are dedicated to push this across the finish line. That is. 99% of the time where the hurdles come into place. It's like, you have this great idea, but no one wants to follow through with it when they know the time commitment or you know how many volunteer hours they need to do. Virtual has, you know with the lack of um, travel, um, that has definitely put a hindrance on a lot of people uh, to do volunteer work. If it's hours upon hours of volunteer work, people are like, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Next thing you know, your deadline's up and passed where traditionally these organizations would do it in person. Um, however, having the virtual component of it also saves an organization a substantial amount of money because now they don't have to pay for 25 people for four or five days to go somewhere. So, you know, all these organizations are, are uh, figuring out alternative ways to get this done and pushed across the finish line virtually. Um, Keith, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? It, well, hold on, AJ, is it ever really done though? Like it, this isn't a project, is it? Isn't it like just kind of a, it's kind of like dieting, I would imagine. If if you expect a new revenue stream, if you expect to lose weight and keep it off, you've got to change the way you're doing things. So this isn't done in six months, right? No, the actual development of the certification is done in six months. So oh, it's okay. Pretty big lift. However, maintenance of the program and the ongoing updating of it is continuous. And then, you know, the expansion of additional products and things of that nature. I get uh, it. It becomes, it becomes a new department, uh, so to speak. So we always guide a lot of organizations to either look to build internal resources or outsource it um, to us. And we have a team that can help support that infrastructure and they don't have to invest in another staff member. I get it. The only thing I will throw out there is to Dave's question in regards to feasibility and is this something that, I mean, monetarily, every organization is gonna be different with what their needs are. Um, But traditionally my challenge is, and this is not a knock against them, it's just how things have always been done, 
if a smaller group goes to a testing company and says, this is what we would like to build, these large testing companies will essentially look at them, laugh and say, you don't have the budget for us, go. And programs that had tremendous potential have been, had, had their legs cut off before they even tried to walk. And to us, that's a little bit of a sticking point. So one of the goals that we have done, Adrian and I have been 20-year veterans of the association profession. We have sat in the association seat for years. This is, now we own a for-profit, but we still operate like an association. We love to give away our resources and information and knowledge. But one of the things that we've done is we don't turn a group away for the most part. We will go down every angle possible. We will find a way to get creative, to allow them to build something. And when these testing companies, you say, well, you need a testing company. No, we'll get an independent psychometrician. Most of the groups that we are building and we have built from scratch, the testing companies who laugh them away are now knocking on the door saying, hey, we'd like to pitch that you join our testing company. Well, guess who's laughing now? Our groups are saying, no, thank you. We're gold. And um, so it's something to really consider. And if you've been in a situation as an organization where you're like, we don't have the budget, we don't have this, call us. We can give you every creative way. And it's not hire us. We'll just give you all the info. We'll tell you how to do an entire program yourself without using us. Um, we can even guide you to hire the right people to do so. Now, if you don't want that burden and you want us to do it, picture it like a meal. We'll give you the recipe or we'll be your chef. Tom, can we talk about, in my eyes, just kind of a third segment here. Can we talk about conferences for a minute? Do you mind going into that area? No, no. All right. So the, what, I, what I was hoping to talk about is not how do you do a good virtual conference, because I know you guys are into this thing right now. This is part of your clients being in credentialing. They're like, well, can you help us with our content or delivering this seminar sessions online and stuff? And so you're helping a lot of organizations with virtual conferences. I don't care about how to do a good virtual conference. There's so many people talking about how to do a good virtual conference. What I'm really curious about is what do you see conferences looking like in 2022, 2023? Because I mean, already what we're seeing, we're recording this in what is it, March, end of March. Um, this may not come out for another month or so, but ASAE for August has canceled the in-person thing, which blows my mind a little bit. But uh, what does is, what is 22, 2023 look like in your perspective for, for, for events? Adrian, do you mind if I tease something up and then just pass it to you? Because I'd love for you to deep dive on this one. I, I know where, where we're going. We decided to look at this and we created a department called Limitless Virtual. We're, we're putting on at this point, I think we have scheduled over 25 annual conferences this year. And like you said, everybody's putting on a virtual conference. There's not a choice. We, flat out in our bylaws for most organizations, you must have an in-person meeting, blah, blah, blah. So what we have decided to do is focus on what we've been saying for years, accessibility. This isn't about virtual. This isn't about COVID. This is about what the future needs to look like for organizations. There's a handful of people who go to conferences. To send an employee, you're, you're dropping two grand a day just to have them out of the office. And that is valuable for the in-person piece. And we need that. But not every level of staff needs to be in-person or can financially from a budgetary standpoint. So the virtual aspect in our future that we're building towards with our clients is to build hybrid. Doesn't mean ASA can't have their 6,000 plus people attend their meeting, but why not gather another 
16,000 plus virtually at that same time during that meeting. Now you have a beautiful hybrid model. That's the goal in our future for our clients. And it's been proven that people who go virtual strive to go in person. So your in-person numbers will spike over years. And that is kind of what we're doing with that. From our perspective of credentialing, knowledge is power. And a meeting is not just the networking aspects, it's the education components. And the more people we can educate in the masses for the professions we serve, the stronger the professions we serve become. And I'll tee that up to you, Adrian. Yeah, I don't disagree whatsoever. I think there is going to always be a place for an in-person meeting, in particular for associations for their annual conference, their award banquets, things of that nature where they want their business meeting. And as we've historically have seen, it's always the same people year after year in your same numbers. What is going to happen and what a lot of our, our new clients have seen is having accessibility to the virtual market is hitting a bunch of people that traditionally wouldn't have been able to travel in person and are now becoming engaged and are learning and are just getting involved. And so the, this entire other market of people are there. Uh, and so that's where I think a lot of associations are really gonna hold tight to that. Now, whether they do their annual conference in person and then the hybrid portion of things with do smaller virtual meetings on different topic areas, um, I think it's going to continue, definitely continue, and it's going to grow. And ironically, I will tell you, the, the people who have been the most resistant, the most resistant, I mean, arguing and upset are the sponsors and vendors. And those, after we complete a conference with them, those are the ones who are turning around saying, we're seeing three to 400% profit increases from our return on investments here. We did not see that in the course of three days, but we're seeing those within the first 90 days because a virtual conference continues. And when you add the hybrid component, they're getting the best of both worlds. And now they're not kicking and screaming to not have the virtual or hybrid. They're actually asking, how can we carve this out for the long haul? So it's a really interesting model that's surfacing. And all of us depend on our sponsors, our exhibitors to put on these meetings. Our association dues are not gonna cover these meetings, but grand scheme of things, they're loving it. So it's, it's becoming a really beautiful synergy Synergy that's occurring. Well, that's interesting. You, you talk about vendors. We're a vendor, obviously, PropFuel. And, and so we sponsor a lot of events. And I'm not going to pay ASAE what I pay for a booth. I'm not going to pay that for a virtual conference. But there's things I could do at a virtual conference that would be more valuable. And so, but it's restructuring. Like, I, I don't love the idea of a booth, a virtual booth. I don't, you know, I, it's a restructuring. It's a different solution. So that's, that's interesting. And I bet, and I'm sure you guys bring that to the table in these conversations as well. One, one thing I just want to point out, said topic for podcast 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to comment that when back in the day when we were running this LMS, we had a lot of clients that would come to us pre pandemic and, They'd come to us and when we were talking about helping them webcast uh, sessions from a live event, a big concern was it was if we did, if they did that, it would cannibalize their live event attendees. And over and over and over again, we showed them it did not. And the only way we're able to do that is because people did it. And then they came forward with their numbers and like, oh my God, the the in-person Numbers didn't change. The only thing that changed is people that weren't going to come to the in-person, they started attending virtually. And so, Adrian, I'm completely with you on, on your 
prediction and and well your comment that uh, adding a virtual element does not cannibalize an event now in the circumstance of the covid it might there might be some unusual circumstances but generally speaking and way before the pandemic virtual was just a complete addition to exactly uh, Oh, and you can also record the sessions, right? For to give people afterward, which you can make an upsell to in-person attendees. Because I go to ASA, there's no way I can go to all the sessions, but I'm interested in a lot of them. And so it'd be really, really nice to be able to go back later and watch them. Most of the time, yeah. I don't. But we've nice. worked with we've worked with groups who are actually are leveraging that, Dave, and and they say, hey, yeah, you have access during the meeting, but after the meeting, if you want those pre recordings, they're members only. And people are converting their membership from the non-membership fee to attend the meeting. And they're getting a savings first year just to access those videos. So we're seeing membership spikes. I mean, the, the synergy here is tremendous. So Keith and Adrian, what we do at the end of each one of these recordings is we ask everybody for their, their key takeaway from the session. That includes you guys. I'll start with Tom. Tom, what do you think? What's, what's your, thinking back in the last 30 minutes or so, what are you, I mean, what, what are you walking away with? Well, if you're currently doing education, continue to enhance it. If you're not doing any online education at all, do everything to start today, checking into it, because it's not expensive. We're only a three and a half person staff and have always been a three and a half person staff and have grown it from $0 to now $150,000 a year in new income that comes in every year, like I say, like printing money. But, we, but you have, it's like any other product. You have to stay on top of your game, make sure it's fresh, meets the generational demands that you need to have in terms of learning experience and good customer service and good content. And you'll create something that can really be a good revenue source for your members. So, and, and I'll go next because I want to give you guys a little time to think about this. Tom and I prep for this in advance. Uh, my biggest takeaway, this is the biggest surprise from the conversation was that it's it's like printing money. I, I knew that this is a big money maker for uh, con, uh, mandatory credit industries. I really didn't know that you could make money off of virtual learning or credentialing for industries that did not have mandatory credit. So that that's kind of enlightening for me. All right, Adrian, what do you got? I think my key takeaway in, in this and the more I talk about it is really encouraging and, and having the conversation with associations that you represent a trade. And as we started this conversation for profit, we'll come in and take over these areas, but who represents an industry more other than the association? So it's our due diligence to build that education, credentialing and resources to better that profession and kind of you know build a hodgepodge of uh, different learning um, opportunities for people because not everyone learns the same way. And that's kind of what I take from these conversations um, and you know hope to help generate that and, and build it for others. Keith? You know, we don't know what we don't know. And I've got to say, even, even to your surprise of, um, it's like printing money. To all the folks who are hearing this, there's an enlightening aha moment for so many. For me, there's so much here. For everyone listening, I've got brilliant friends, damn it. Look at these guys, they're freaking amazing. And they ask the right questions. So in the spirit of education, in the spirit of we don't know what we don't know. Everyone listening right now, make sure that you know people who could use this. You know organizations who are talking about, I don't know how to engage my members. I don't know how to get our golden handcuff. Share this podcast. Everyone should be sharing this with at least 10 people because we care about the professions we serve. So share this podcast. 
Share every podcast, share every bit of learning and knowledge because we need it. And we need to spark the fire for organizations to stop looking at the fear of the new normal, the, the global pandemic, and we're all not going to survive. How about we start focusing on the goals of where we can leverage knowledge, spark conversation, go back to old school philosophy. We chat, we share ideas, differences of opinions and embrace them because each one sparks a new idea. This podcast, I have like Socrates right here with these guys. Share these things. Rock on lovers. You got anything, Tom, or can we wrap it? Association strong where we spark the fire. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye guys. Thank you. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.